I love what it says that no matter the season that we're in, our calling hasn't ended. We're called still to be light into darkness and help to this world, to be Jesus to everyone. Well, today's message is kind of a takeoff on that. Um, the title of today's message is The Tomb is Empty. What now? You know, uh, last week we celebrated Resurrection Sunday. To some, it's more known as Easter Sunday. Uh, but I, there's been something on my heart as I've been trying to ask the Lord, what do you want to say today? And I, you know, it's, I was thinking about speaking about how to get past fear during these times or, or, or speak on other topics that would, would maybe um, be a little bit relevant in my brain. But then the Lord kept on saying, no, you're not done with the message of the resurrection. And I said, okay, what do you mean by that, Lord? And he said, in fact, it's probably the most relevant message you can ever hear during this time. And what I wanted to share is this, is, is what do we do now? Now that the tomb is empty and we've celebrated that day. You know, the world prior to this pandemic would celebrate that day. And then they would take all of their Easter decor, their baskets and whatever they would have for, for that holiday. They would pack it up in a box and mark it Easter for next year. And they'd put it in the storage and they'd get ready for the next holiday that's coming up. We'd wake up that very Monday of the following uh, Resurrection Sunday, and we just move on with life. And we tend to forget about that day until it comes around next year. So can I encourage you guys that, and, and, and behoove you that we never lose the wonder and the awe of what Jesus accomplished for you on that day of resurrection? How about you, but... Every day that I think about what he did for us on that cross, that he conquered the, the grave, that, that he did all of that. And, and it's not just that we get eternal life. That, that's a side benefit. And I want you to get this point because so many times that's the reason why we, we come to the Lord is that, that eternal life ticket. But in reality, that's just a benefit of being in relationship with him. His main purpose was to, to reconnect us to have a relationship with the Father. And every time I think of that, the weight of that just blows my mind. Just, just like blows my mind. No matter if it's Easter Sunday or some odd day in the year, every time I think about his love and the depth of it, the immeasurable love that kept him on the cross that day, it rocks my world. And so I wanted to make sure that we just don't lose what it means. Um, so what I want to do is talk about now what happens after the, the tomb is empty. What, what do we do now? What do we do the Monday after Resurrection Sunday and on? And I, wanted, I don't want it to pass by so quickly that we just move on to doing things again, doing our life. I wrote here, this is um, Jesus accomplished what he wanted to do on the cross. The finished work of Calvary was just the beginning. He wasn't done. In fact, he had accomplished everything he did up to that point for one reason, for for this, he, he was just setting himself up to be the cornerstone. And for some of us that know that, the scripture is Mark 12, 10, where the stone that was rejected, the stone as being him, that when he was rejected, he became the cornerstone. Cornerstone for what? Well, he goes on to say this. He, he was preparing to, to build his church. So he became the cornerstone of his church that he was about to build. And I love it when he says to, to Peter in Matthew 6, 18, he says this, I tell you, Peter, upon you I will build my church. You know, growing up as a kid, I, I always thought, wow, Peter's got a lot of weight on him, man. He's got to carry the whole church. 
I, I want you to get this. When he was saying that, he wasn't just saying it to Peter. He was saying it to you. He was saying it to, to, to Thomas that day, to John, to James, to Mary, to, to Helen, to Rob, to, to, to me. He was saying it to us because why? His resurrection made it possible for him to begin to build his church on us. So yeah, this is what happens once the tomb is empty. He was preparing us for something even greater. Uh, our text today is in John 20, 1 through 18. And uh, if you have your Bible and if you're, if you're sitting around with your family in front of the TV, I love this. Before I go on, I want to share this. You know, I've been hearing a lot of great testimonies out there about families that are really, truly being intentional. And I want you to grab this. Families, if you're there right now and you're watching this on your iPad in your bedroom and maybe your kids are in a different room, maybe somebody, your husband's out, uh, I don't know, outside uh, reading his newspaper or whatever it would be, I want you guys to, to be intentional about this time of doing church at home. What that means is literally giving God this hour and come together as a family. When we do that, when we build the, build the family nucleus with Jesus at the center, this is what it should look like, that you're all sitting there, that you're looking at one uh, at the TV and, and, and praying together and, and just being just captivated by his presence. You know, when it comes to, to being in the presence of God, we can get so many things that distract us. I mean, we all have like two or three different mobile devices. Can I encourage you to turn that off and, and come together as a family right now? Well, before I go on any further in this text of John 20, as I read through it, there's a story, and I'm going to go through this, these scriptures with you, but it, you know, it's about... When Mary goes to the tomb and, and then she finds it empty and she calls on um, Peter and John and, and it goes through that whole process. And I kept on saying, okay, Lord, what do you want to say? Who? And, and, he, and I kept on focusing on the tomb and different things. That's true. But he said, no, I want, you to, I want you to talk about Mary in this story. I want you to focus on Mary. So I actually had to dig a little deeper to find out who Mary Magdalene was. A lot of people don't really, really realize that, that there's so much that she did in the Gospels. Uh, I'll give you a couple of things, right? Before she became a follower of Christ, he delivered her from seven demons, believe it or not. It says it in Luke 8, 2. And then she was the one that brought her alabaster box, broke it, and anointed him. She fell in love with him in such a way that there was such a devotion for him. And, and for all that he did, he delivered her. And she's mentioned in all of the Gospels, and at times even more than some of the other, other disciples. You know, all of us know like Peter, James, and John, and we're like, who are the other guys again? But they'll know who Mary Magdalene is. She's mentioned a lot more than some of the other disciples. She's mentioned alongside the disciples as they, as they traveled the countryside with Jesus. She was there when the Pharisees and the Sadducees took him into a rigged trial. She was there when they they. They beat him and put a crown of thorns on his head. She was there. She was there at the crucifixion. She watched him take his last breath. She was there. She was always there. And now in this story, you'll find that she was there when he was resurrected. Her love and unwavering devotion to Jesus, uh, I wrote this, went beyond the grave. It didn't stop because he died. So let's, let's look at this. My first point today is she sought Jesus. 
She sought him out. So John 21 uh, verse 1 starts this way. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she, I want you to get this, right? It's been uh, uh, three days later and she's going there. And I want you to understand this, that she didn't wait three days to do this. Knowing her devotion to Jesus, she did this daily. She wanted to just be with Jesus. And so we went there this one day and, and the dark, and, and she noticed that something's wrong, something's different. The stone's been rolled away. And verse 2 goes on and says, Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. I want to go back a little bit to that first part. That she went to the tomb early. She sought him out. And I encourage you that, that we can choose to seek Jesus out even in this time. And especially when it seems like the world, even before the pandemic came about, that the world was turning its back on Jesus. We took prayer out of schools. We just did so many things that put God out of the picture of our own personal lives. In a world where likes, <laughs> hearts, and, and emojis may gauge your popularity, would you choose to find your faith again, even if it's not the most popular thing to do? You know, the Bible says, seek and you'll find. It's a promise. It's not a statement or a question. It says, if you seek, you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Ask, and it will be given. A lot of times we take that so out of context, like, well, if you want something, just ask, and God's going to give it to you. But what he was saying is, seek me, and you'll find me. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Ask, and it will be given. I want you to get this, and I've mentioned this before to my church, and I want you that are viewing it to get this. That when we say the word seek and you'll find knock and the door will be open and, and ask and it'll be given. It's, it's actually a progression. It's, it's from somebody who's from far away looking for something. That's your first step. You need to choose to seek God out. You need to choose this, to find him. Just as Mary did. Even in dire situations, you're going to look for him. And the next part of that is this, right? It says knock. That means you got closer. You're, you're at his throne room. You're outside of his door and you're saying... Jesus, where are you? I, I've been looking for you, and I found where you're at, and I want in now. So it's bringing you closer and closer. You seek him out, and then you finally get entry. And the last part says, ask. That means you're face-to-face -face with the King of Kings and, and your Savior, and you're asking him, Lord, I'm here now. See, it, it speaks of a progression from going from this distance from God and then just moving closer and closer. As you seek him out, you get closer to him because why he gave us a promise. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I wrote this here. It says, it's about choosing a physical posture that will change your spiritual proximity before God. Can we do that? Can we find a place in this crazy, shut-in, personal isolation world and just turn the rest of the world off for an hour or whatever it is a day and, 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 
just find a closet, your prayer closet, your place where it's not just about asking for things, but about just seeking His presence. Being intentional about that and saying, you know what, uh, I, I, I tell your family, hey guys, what an example that would be. I, I just need an hour. I want to pray. I, I want to seek God out today. Can you guys watch the kids? Can you guys do it? I just need my quiet time alone with God. I, I need Him in my life. Seek Him out. It's a promise that you'll find Him. As we go on in the scripture here, the next portion here really is a kind of an interlude of Mary, but I want to bring this up real quickly and we'll go through it. It says, verse 3, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, so, so, so this is after Mary goes over and says, Peter, the rocks were rolled away, they've taken them. And then so, and it says earlier, it said that he she told Peter and the other disciple whom, the, whom Christ loved. Right. So the other disciple is, guess who? John, if you haven't figured it out. And we are reading the Gospel of John. I, okay, side note. I, I find it very interesting that John, who's the author here, doesn't refer to himself as, you know, because he's writing. You could have said Peter and, and I or, or something like that. But no, but he, he says Peter and the other disciple who Jesus loved. It's kind of humble, I think. Just kidding, just kidding. We're moving on. And, and we're going to, to the tomb. So they were decided, okay, let's go check this out. Verse 4, so they both ran together. Okay, they're running together. They heard the news, they're running. And the other disciple, John, <laughs> outran Peter. So what John's saying is, I'm a faster runner than Peter. Man, even back then they were a little competitive. And, and came to the tomb first. He had to, he had to let the world know that he, he, he won the race. And, and, he's, he, and he, John, stooping down, so picture this, this tomb here. He stoops down. He doesn't go in yet. He stoops down, and then he looks in. And the next word is saw. Saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Interesting, right? He saw it, but he didn't go in. I want you to know that in this a uh, few verses, there, the word saw is used three times. The first time is right here, and the Hebrew word for that, and they're all different in meaning, believe it or not. The first word uh, saw is blepe, which basically means to see or to just notice. So John looked in, and he noticed. Yeah, there's cloth there. Wow, interesting. And, 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 and it, so, so he says, he saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he didn't go in. In verse 6, then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb. He didn't stop at the doorway. So he had to jump into the tomb. That's just so Peter. I love that about Peter. I'm not, I'm not staying in a boat. I'm jumping out. And then he saw. Now this word saw is theore, which is to really, it's a, it's a root word of theory, to study or to derive, to really kind of look at the situation, find out what is going, I, I'm going to come up with an idea or a theory about what happened here. He was studying it. He was trying to figure it out. The linen cloths lying there. <clears throat> and verse 7, And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linens, but folded together and placed by itself. And verse 8, Then the other disciple, John, who came to the tomb first, yeah, he won the race, went in also and saw, another word, saw, different meaning. This one is the Hebrew word, eden, which means to discern or to comprehend. So they now are looking and they're really trying to comprehend what happened here, Lord? What's going on? And then after a little bit of time of discerning and looking and seeing, it says this, and believed. 
I put a big question mark there. I'll explain to you why in a second. Verse 9 says this, For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So there's been scriptures for, for all precluding this situation of saying that Jesus will rise again. In fact, Jesus said it numerous times before his death that he will rise after three days. And yet they didn't put the dots together. It just didn't click that this is what happened. In verse 10, then the disciples, meaning Peter and John, went away again back to their homes. Interesting. They go to the tomb. They see the cloths laying there, the burial clothes. They see the folded handkerchief, and they, they, they study it, and they comfort it, but they, they don't quite understand. And then verse 10 says this, then the disciples went away again to their own homes. It's like almost like, huh, that was interesting. I'll see you tomorrow. Same time, Peter. Is that okay? You know, it was kind of like this thing. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm going to go home now. But here's where the story continues for Mary. Point number two. She saw Jesus. She saw Jesus. Point one was she sought him out. Now she sees him. See, even though the other disciples had chosen to leave and she didn't give, but she didn't give up looking for Jesus. Right? So they go in, they see, and they, they take off, and they go, well, we're going to go home now. Nothing we can do here. But she chooses not to leave. She didn't give up looking for Jesus. She still hoped to find him. And guess what? She did. Hebrews eleven six says this, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not like, oh, well, I'll check it out later kind of thing, but sets time aside to be diligent in their search for him. He's going to reward that step of faith to do that. Verse 11 says this, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she didn't even go in yet, but she stayed. She stooped down and then looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white. She saw angels now. Okay, Peter and John just left. They didn't see anything but the cloths. But now she sees two angels sitting there. One at the head and the other at the feet of the burial clothes, where the body would lay, where the body of Jesus had been laying. I want you to get this picture before I move on. Okay, I'm going to do a little teaching here. There's an angel here on this side. There's an angel sitting here on this side between the cloths where Jesus had lain. Now, there's a lot to teach here, but I'm just going to cover something real quickly here. Usually there's a hundred pounds, and you can look it up in Scripture, of different herbs and oils and different essential oils and all these different things that come into play to, to prepare a body for burial. And, and so they wrap the body up. And, and they lay them down there. And if somebody was going to steal the body, they wouldn't have taken the time to unwrap the body. I remember talking to one of the gentlemen in our church this, uh, this past week, and he said, I, when I read that for the first time, I saw a picture of, of Jesus just coming out of that, rising up, and the cloths just sinking down and remained in place of where the body was. And then he took off as he was sitting there, took the handkerchief off, and then folded it and put it on the ground on the side. I said, wow, I never really put a picture to it before. But I wanted to show you this picture. Angel here, angel there. And in between was Jesus' body. That spoke of the Ark of the Covenant. 
Now, if you know the Ark of the Covenant, if you look at the top, there are two cherubims facing inward. And in between them is what's called the mercy seat, where the blood of Christ is sprinkled. Jesus died, and that grave represented the mercy seat when he rose again. Verse 13, then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. And I, I do not know where, she, where they have, they, they've laid him. Verse 14, now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And did not know that it was Jesus. She saw somebody there, but didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be a gardener, <laughs> said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him off of your hands. I'll take him away. This moment was kind of interesting to me. So she's speaking to Jesus, but she doesn't recognize who he is. I wrote here, you know that we can miss Jesus when he's trying to do something in our life because we're either blinded by our situation. It could be grief. It could be depression. And a lot of us are going through depression of being shut in for so long. We, we're built for human connections, and we don't know how to, to uh, maneuver or navigate through this without that. It could have been anxiety. You know, a lot of us have gone through fear in these last months or weeks, and, and now it's catching up to us. Or it could be as simple things as not caring. Eh, I don't care. We'll get through this. It could be comfortability. That couch after a month can get real comfortable. And it could be that we miss Jesus when he's talking to us with our own expectation. See, Mary went there expecting a full grave, expecting Jesus in, in the tomb. She went there with grave expectations, which kept her from seeing God. So can I ask you, are you going to see, are you seeking him out? Are, are you, can you put aside and, and just allow yourself to seek a risen king and not someone who has been dead? Can you, put, can you say, Lord, I, I'm going to look to, towards you no matter my situation of anxiety or fear because faith over this, your perfect love casts out these things. Can you seek a risen king today? I want to go to verse 16, and then Jesus replies and says this to her. In this whole conversation, Jesus said to her, Mary. That's it. He just said her name, Mary. Jesus turned to, and said to him, Rabboni, which basically is to say teacher. She recognized his voice. I love that. I love that. Sometimes when we do life with our eyes, we miss God speaking to us. And I want you to get this. It was Jesus calling out her name that changed everything. It's that tone of relationship. You got that? I'll give you an example. I will know my wife's voice in a crowded room. After 32 years of being together, I know when she's happy, she's sad, or she's mad at me. <laughs> I think a lot of you know that voice or maybe even the look. But my point is, is this, I wouldn't know her voice that way if it wasn't for familiarity of relationship. 
We've known each other for so long that she knows everything about me, and I know a lot of everything about her, and I'm still learning. But her voice, her voice. I'll know exactly where she's at in a crowd if she says my name. Do you know Jesus that way? Can you seek him out and find a place of knowing his voice in that way? See, this is no different for Mary. When Jesus called out her name, it became personal. She wasn't looking for, for a dead body anymore because she realized it's his voice. I know who this is. It became familiar and she responds to him. See, Romans 10, 17 says this, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, by the voice of God. Do you know his voice? And my favorite, all of you know this one, in John 10, 27, says this, My sheep, my people, know my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. They're with me. I made a point of highlighting this, and I want you to get this. Intimacy will always lead to insight. When you're intimate and you have a relationship with Jesus, he'll show you things you've never, ever seen before. He'll bring provisions to you that you've never, ever known before. He'll bring healing in a time that you need it because you're looking so much for the earthly healing of things, but he wants to do such great things in your life. So can I encourage some of you who have put your relationship with God on the back burner for a long time, who knew him once, I love what Pastor Nolene said earlier. He's just one turn away from you. One step away. Turn back to him. He's waiting for you. The deeper our relationship, the more we know his voice in our situations. Verse 17 says this. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Because once she realized who it was, she, she grabbed on. Now, she wasn't alone. The, the, the other gospel saying she was with Mary and the other ladies, and they were grabbing on to her. And, but he says this, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but I want you to get this. Go. Go. Go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Go to my brethren. You know, that's the first time he called the disciples brothers. First time. He's called them friends before. He's called them disciples. He called them by the first names. But this is the first time he used the word brother or brethren. Why? Because his sacrifice on the cross sealed our adoption, sealed their adoption with the Father, and that made them his brothers. That work was finished at the cross. Go to my brothers. Ephesians 1.5 says this, The Father already had a plan for our adoption as sons by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. It was already planned out that we get to be part of his family, his ohana. Mary became the first person that was commissioned to share the testimony of his resurrection. Isn't that an awesome honor? To be able to go to somebody and say, Guess what? He's risen. She got to do that. And let's get this last point here. Point number three says this. She shared Jesus. First she sought him. Then she saw him. Then she shared who he was. Jesus wasn't quite done. After he settles the fears of his disciples in, in the room, this is going on further in the chapter, which I won't read all the verses. Then he sends them out empowered by the Holy Spirit. So in verse 21, it says this. Again, Jesus said, 
Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he bred on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is when he passes the baton over to you. He says, I've done my portion. I'm going up to be with the Father, but I'm leaving the Holy Spirit with you. And I'm commissioning you to go and share the gospel. Go and show my love to everyone that you meet out there. Go. Go. In each gospel, Jesus is commissioning us to go and share the good news, to make disciples, to build his church. Remember, he's the cornerstone, and now you get to be a living stone on top of him. And before you know it, he is now building his church. It's not built with walls, and yes, it's great to have walls, but what we're experiencing now in this time is that he can use you. He wants to build his church in you and through you. So that you can then go and be his disciple. All three, all four gospels have the commissioning statement. In Matthew it says, go, therefore make disciples. Mark says, go into all the world and preach, preach the gospel. Luke says this, by the repentance and remission of sins, preach my gospel, mean my name, so that people can know my love. Every single one of them says, go, go. And we started it with a video that said, even in these times, our calling our commission doesn't end. No virus or pandemic will put that on hold. We get to be Jesus during this time as well. You know, as a church, we're being essential in the sense that we're trying to help our community. We're, we're reaching out and we're feeding families on Friday. If you'd like to be a part of that, please let us know. We're asking for food or, or, or surplus items that you don't need, or every time you go shopping, maybe buy a couple extra rolls. We're taking them to our elderly in, in the village on Thursdays. Uh, May Lynn, our sister, she takes a bag of these things to every elderly chain we have on the list that need help. This is how we can do this and not break the, cover, uh, the ordinances that we have. We can still be an essential church during these times, even when the signs on the door says we're closed for business. We're not. So be a part of that with us. I've been reading some posts during this time. You know, there's nothing else to do sometimes but read posts during the COVID-19 and one I'd like to read you. This is from the YouVersion Bible. A lot of you have been downloading that. If you haven't already, please do that. Read your word during this time. Be, be filled up with that. It can bring joy in your time of despair. It can be a strength when you, when you don't have any. But it, this is what they wrote on, on, their, um, on, on a link that came through from them. And I love this. I want you to get this. While we're facing challenges in the middle of a global pandemic... What you may not realize is that we're also experiencing a season of great spiritual awakening. All over the world, all over the world, people are searching for answers and hope. And what millions are finding is an invitation into a relationship with God. They're searching, especially in a time where people are dying, hundreds and thousands, hundreds and thousands of people dying around the world. And where are they turning? They're turning to God. In the streets of Brazil and Italy, they're, they're getting on their knees and repenting before the Lord. People are turning back to their faith that they haven't looked at or sought out God in years. But they're finding now, after the tomb is empty, their purpose is still to find and seek Jesus out. It goes on for this, but it's only the beginning. This quote starts, uh, finishes out this way. It's only the beginning. We know that God wants to do so much more as he continues to draw people closer 
from all over the world. So many people will point back to this chapter in history as a defining moment of their relationship with God when they came back to Him. This work matters now, and it matters in eternity. So, worship team, I'm going to close up if you want to come here. If I can encourage you guys, be intentional with this time that you have. Some of you are out of work, and I'm praying that God will bring provision to you and your family. I'm praying that, that in your home that you'll have all that you need and more, in fact, that you have time not to just do your honeydew list or the things you've been wanting to do for a long time they never had a chance to do. But I want you to be intentional about sending, spending some time with the Lord. Seek Him out. Make Him the center of your home and your family. And as you seek Him out, guess what? His promises are that you will see Him. You will see Him. You'll find moments of Him and you'll walk out of your prayer closet with joy and your family's going, what's going on with you? Don't you know what's happening in the world? And you can say, yeah, I do. But I know what's happening in me, and it's Jesus. You can share Jesus in those ways with your family. So I'd like to encourage you guys all right now. The tomb is empty. But God rose for more than just that. He rose so that you could get to know him in a relationship that you would know the sound of his voice when he speaks to you and he calls out your name. I'm closing prayer. I'm going to have the team Lead us in a closing song. Father, we just come before you. We acknowledge you, Jesus, as the risen king. We also acknowledge that you've called us to finish the work that you started that day, that you were the cornerstone, that you are building a church that goes beyond concrete and nails, Lord God, that are built on living stones who are in our hearts, Lord God, as we turn back to you in this time. Help us to seek you out in such a way, Lord Jesus. Let's turn back to our first love. Let's put you, Lord God, back in the front of our lives again. No more are we putting in the back of our lives. If we've learned anything from this pandemic is that life, life is short. And we never know when. But when we have you in our heart and we, we have the assurance of our salvation, then life is infinite and eternal. So, Lord, I just pray for all those that are listening right now, Lord God, that you're waiting right there. They've taken so many steps away from you, but they're, they want to make that one step, that one turn, Lord, back to you, and you're right there to receive them. Holy Spirit, touch their hearts right now. In your name, Jesus, we say amen. God bless you all.